Section forty one of the Mysteries of London, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of London, Volume three, by George W. M. Reynolds. Section forty one. Conclusion of the History of Jacob Smith. On my return to Earl Street, Seven Dials which was at about three o'clock in the morning i found old death and mrs bunce sitting up for me toby having gone to bed i related the adventures which i had met with but said not a word about the intrigue of the lady and the baronet for i could not help thinking that the kind treatment i had in the first instance received from mrs slingsby deserved the reward of secrecy on that head old death very kindly permitted me to retain five pounds out of the money which i myself had obtained and i hurried back to my lodging in st giles peggy was in bed and fast asleep and i lay down by her side without awaking her when i again opened my eyes the sun was shining in the brightness of a frosty air even through the dingy panes of my window and i started up peggy had already risen and i suppose she had gone out to get things for breakfast but something like a suspicion arose in my mind and i felt uneasy i searched the pockets of the ragged pair of trousers i had purposely worn on the previous night and the five sovereigns were gone now i was really alarmed peggy had certainly decamped a farther search showed me that she had even carried off the few little articles of decent wearing apparel that i had leaving me only the miserable rags in which i had appeared at mrs slingsby's house yes peggy had run away with all i possessed that was worth the taking and now the question naturally rose in my mind will she betray me i thought her conduct was so suspicious that i determined not to give her a chance if i could help it particularly as i remembered the manner in which she took the beating i gave her and which now made me think that she had resolved on being revenged so i dressed myself in my tatters as quick as i could and got away from the house but at the end of the street i met a certain mr dykes the bow street runner whom you happen to know mr rainford and though i endeavoured to dive into a narrow court he pounced upon me in a twinkling in less than an hour i stood in the felon's dock at the police court bow street charged with a robbery committed by me in bloomsbury square in the disguise of a sweep i was remanded for a week and sent in the meantime to clerkenwell prison there i was placed in number twelve reception yard where mrs bunce who pretended to be my aunt in order to get admittance to me visited me in the afternoon she told me that mr bones could not possibly come to see me but that he would do all he could for me if i remained staunch and did not mention his name in any way not even to my fellow-prisoners we are afraid that you will be committed for trial said mrs bunce but all shall be done that can be done to buy off the witnesses if that won't succeed such evidence of former good character shall be given that your sentence will be a light one and in the meantime you shall have as much money as you want to live gloriously in prison mr bones has sent you up a sovereign for the present and i will bring you a good suit of clothes to-morrow so that you may go up swell before the beak next time be staunch jacob and mr bones will never desert you but if you only mention his name to a soul in an improper way he'll leave you to your fate and you'll be transported mrs bunce impressed all this on my mind but i assured her it was unnecessary as i knew that i should not better my own plight in any very considerable degree by nosing against bones 
whereas he might be useful to me if i behaved well in the matter she went away satisfied and i spent the rest of the day in jollification with my fellow-prisoners amongst whom my money raised me to the rank of a hero note nineteen that night i slept in the receiving ward and next morning i was taken to the bathing-room a new suit of clothes having been already sent in to me by mrs bunce but i found that i was to bathe in the same water which had already served to wash the filthy bodies of several trampers who had also been sent to prison the day before on a charge of robbery and i knew that when they entered they were covered with vermin i therefore gave the turnkey half a crown to allow me to dispense with the bath put on my new clothes and was turned into the felon's yard there i found persons who had committed all degrees of crime huddled together as if there was no difference in the charges against them a boy who had stolen a pound of potatoes value one penny myself who had stolen plate in a dwelling-house a gentleman who had wounded another in a duel and could not get bail but who was a very superior person a burglar a coiner and a man charged with murder were all in one room together it did not strike me then but it has often struck me since how wrong it was to put the boy who had stolen potatoes along with a burglar a coiner and a practised thief as i was how unjust it was to put the gentleman with any of us and how shocking it was to put a murderer along with prisoners whose hands were not at least stained with blood and what were the consequences the boy who had merely stolen the potatoes because his mother was ill and starving and who had never done anything wrong before was entirely corrupted by the coiner and made up his mind to turn prig the moment he got out the gentleman was worked up to such a pitch of excitement by being in such a society that he was removed to the infirmary and died of brain fever as i afterwards heard the burglar helped the murderer to escape and got safely away with him our amusements in jail were chiefly gambling and drinking money procured as much liquor as we could consume and with such i was well supplied cards and dice were not allowed it is true but we used to play with bits of woodcut and marked like dominoes or by chalking the table into a draught-board or by tossing halfpence then there was such fighting quarrelling and bad language that nothing could equal the place in the upper or sleeping ward things were much worse the prisoners robbed each other the very first night the duellist gentleman was there he lost his purse containing several sovereigns and when he threatened to complain he was quietly informed by the burglar and the murderer that if he did he would be hung up to the bars of the window with his own handkerchief the very next night and his end would be attributed to suicide note twenty at the end of the week i was had up to bow street once more and the evidence was so conclusive against me that i was committed to newgate for trial this i had expected and cared but little for as mrs bunce at each visit which she paid me at clerkenwell prison assured me that mr bones would do all he could for me and he kept his word but more i suppose for his own sake than mine what a dreadful place i found newgate to be hardened as i was acquainted with all degrees of debauchery and familiar with vice i declare solemnly that i shrank from the scenes i there witnessed fighting quarrelling gambling thieving drinking obscene talking bullying and corrupting each other all those took place to a great degree in the clerkenwell prison 
but in newgate they were carried out to an extent dreadful to think of and associated with other crimes impossible to mention note twenty one i now seem to awake for the first time from a long dream of wickedness and to become aware of the frightful precipice on which i stood my eyes were suddenly opened and i shuddered a man was hanged at the debtor's door while i was in newgate and i saw him pass from the condemned cell to the kitchen which is just within the debtor's door i experienced a sudden revulsion of feeling and took a solemn oath within my own breast that i would never thieve again but as i knew nothing of religion and could not read or write i was not likely to reform very rapidly nor very completely i still laughed and joked with my fellow-prisoners and appeared to enter into most of their fun though i really began to loathe them but when the chaplain visited us and the other boys jeered and mocked him i stood by and dwelt on every word of gentle remonstrance that fell from his lips next sunday i paid great attention to his sermon while pretending to be asleep for if i had been caught actually lending a patient ear to his discourse my fellow-prisoners would have led me no peace afterwards i understood but little very little of that sermon still i gleaned some notion of the existence of a saviour belief in whom was the stepping-stone to virtue i also heard the happiness of heaven explained for the first time but i must confess that i was greatly puzzled when the chaplain declared that the man who was hanged for a dreadful murder on the preceding monday had gone to that place of joy because he had repented in his last moments for i thought to myself well then a human being is quite safe in leading as terrible a life as he chooses as long as he repents at the end and again i was bewildered when i heard the clergyman say these words which made so great an impression on me that i have never forgotten them and never shall as i stood with that penitent man on the drop last monday morning i envied him his fate because i knew that his soul was about to ascend to heaven note twenty two the day of my trial came and i was placed in the dock before the common sergeant of london the clerk of the court asked me how will you be tried by god and your country i knew not what reply to make and was actually on the point of saying that i would rather not be tried at all this time since it seemed to be left to my own choice and that i would faithfully promise never to thieve again when the turnkey who had charge of me whispered in my ear you damned young fool why don't you speak say by god and my country damn you i did as i was directed and the trial commenced the charge against me was fully proved and a verdict of guilty was recorded the common sergeant asked if i had ever been convicted before the keeper of newgate who was present said i had not the counsel who had been retained for me by old death then requested to be allowed to call witnesses to character this was permitted and three or four tradesmen who i well knew were old death's friends got up one after the other and swore that i had been in their service each one of course giving different periods of time and that i was an honest hard-working and industrious lad until i fell into bad company and got into trouble dykes the runner was then questioned about me and he said that i was not known as a thief although he knew the contrary perfectly well but old death had kept his word and had not spared his gold my offence was however a grave one 
robbing in a dwelling-house and there were two or three other indictments of the same kind against me though the prosecutors did not come forward old death had made it right with them too i was accordingly condemned to seven years transportation with a hint that this sentence would be commuted to two years imprisonment at the hulks i was but little more than eleven when my career of crime was thus interrupted and i was glad that it was so interrupted for i resolved that it should not be renewed when i regained my liberty this was scarcely a resolution produced by moral considerations but by fear and it therefore required strengthening whether it was or not i shall soon inform you a few days after the sessions terminated i was removed with several other boys to the euryalus convict hulk at woolwich this vessel has three decks the upper is appropriated to lads convicted the first time the second to the next grade of juvenile criminals and the third or lowest to the worst kind of offenders i was assigned to the upper deck where there were about sixty of us on being received on board we were first sent to the wash-house where we were bathed and well cleansed and we then received the suit of dark grey that denotes the felon our employment was to make clothes for the entire establishment that is shirts jackets waistcoats and trousers the person who taught us was a convict boy who had been a tailor the cutters out belonged to the second deck and visited our department as often as their services were required we were divided into sections each having at its head a boy selected as a chief on account of his good conduct when in prison i will describe the routine of the day taking the period when the summer regulations are in force at five o'clock in the morning all hands were called the ports were opened the hammocks were lowered and lashed up and we washed ourselves for chapel at half-past five the signal was given for prayers and we went to the chapel in sections or divisions taking our seats in profound silence the morning hymn was sung the schoolmaster read the prayers and we returned to our wards on the upper deck there we stood in ranks till six o'clock when breakfast was served the steward of the ship superintended the giving out of the provisions and saw that each boy had his fair allowance of bread and gruel this being done the steward ordered each rank one after the other to approach the tables hold up the bread say grace and then sit down and eat at half-past six we were marshalled on the quarter-deck in divisions and the officers of the hulk were then prepared to hear any complaints or receive any reports that might have to be submitted to them such complaints were noted down for after investigation some of the boys were kept above to wash the quarter-deck and the remainder were sent down to cleanse their own deck at eight o'clock we were all set to work at tailoring a strict silence being preserved at nine o'clock the report upon the complaints was received from the commander of the hulk and the punishments awarded were made known such as a good thrashing with a cane stopping the dinner or a solitary confinement on bread and water at twelve o'clock the dinners were served out the steward superintending the quartermasters and guards were also present to see that one boy's allowance was not taken from him by another from half-past twelve to half-past one we were allowed to take care and exercise on the quarter-deck but without making any noise at half-past one we were marched down again to our work at two a section of one-third of us was sent into the chapel where we were taught reading and writing by the schoolmaster at five we left off work or schooling cleaned the wards and then washed ourselves 
this being done supper was served out and we went on the quarter-deck again for air and exercise till seven when we were once more marched to the chapel for evening prayers and the catechism at eight o'clock we returned to our own deck where the signal was given for getting out the hammocks and slinging them up at nine profound silence was ordered and the whole ship was then as quiet as if there was not a soul on board this deep tranquillity being only broken by the striking of the bell and the cry of all's well every half hour such was the life led on board the euryalus convict hulk but i was happier much happier there than i had ever been before the schoolmaster was an excellent man and took a delight in teaching those who were anxious to learn i was of this number and my improvement was rapid i quite won his regard and he devoted unusual pains to instruct me so that at the end of a year he obtained leave for me to give up the making of clothes and assist him as an usher this was an employment that pleased me greatly and allowed me plenty of time to read the books lent me by the worthy schoolmaster so fond was i of reading that i used to take a book with me on the quarter-deck at those times devoted to air and exercise and sitting apart from the others i would remain buried in study until it was time to go below again i examined how books were written and how i was accustomed to speak that is i compared the language of those books with my own and i was shocked to find how wretchedly ignorant i had hitherto been in respect to grammar this ignorance i strove hard oh very hard to surmount and the good schoolmaster assisted me to the utmost of his power i read and studied the bible with avidity and the more i became acquainted with it the more fixed grew my determination to avoid a relapse into the ways of crime when i should be released during the two years that i passed at the hulk mrs bunce came very often to see me passing herself off as my aunt but relations were not allowed to speak to us except in the presence of a guard and so the name of old death was never mentioned by either of us but mrs bunce used to tell me that my uncle would give me a home when my time was up and i supposed by this that she meant her husband toby i knew that old death was the person who had directed these assurances to be given me and often and often did i lay awake of a night deliberating within myself what i should do when i was set free to earn an honest livelihood and avoid the hateful necessity of returning to the service of mr benjamin bones at length the day of liberation came and i had no plan of proceeding settled my clothes were given to me and a shilling was put into my hand by the steward the old schoolmaster was absent at the time and i was sorry that i had not an opportunity of thanking him for all his kindness and imploring his advice on how to proceed it struck me that i would appeal to the commander of the hulk i did so and solicited him to counsel me how to get an honest livelihood he burst out laughing in my face exclaiming i suppose you think i am to be deceived by your humbug and that i shall put my hand into my pocket and give you a half guinea to see your way with no such thing my lad i used to do so when i was first here but those i assisted in that way were always the first to come back again and he turned on his heel leaving me quite astounded at the reception my sincerity of behaviour had experienced but a few moments reflection showed me that i could scarcely blame him for his conduct and i quitted the ship in tears the moment i stepped from the boat that landed me in woolwich i met mrs bunce she threw her arms around my neck 
and called me her dear jacob in such a loving manner that one would really have believed her to be my aunt or even my mother if she had chosen to represent herself so then pointing to a public-house at a little distance she said your good and kind friend mr bones is there and he will be delighted to see you he has ordered a nice steak and some good ale and we mean to let you enjoy yourself the idea of having such a glorious repast after being kept on short commons on board the euryalus made my mouth water but then i remembered all the influence old death had been accustomed to exercise over me and i knew that if i once again entered within its range i should never have the moral courage to withdraw from it so my mind was made up and suddenly darting down a by-street i was beyond mrs bunce's view in a twinkling i heard her shrill screaming voice call after me but i heeded it not and hurried onward as if escaping from a wild beast presently i relaxed my speed and at length entered a public-house where i called for a pint of beer two or three soldiers and as many young women were sitting at another table drinking and indulging at the same time in the most filthy discourse suddenly one of the females started up advanced towards me and after considering me for a few moments exclaimed with a terrible oath well i thought it must be my old fancy cove jacob and she offered to embrace me i however repulsed her with loathing for in the miserable tattered sickly wretch before me i had already recognized peggy wilkins she seemed ashamed of herself for a minute then recovering her impudence she said damn and blast you for a sulky snivelling hound who the devil are you that you can't treat me civilly do you think i don't know all that's happened to you why you've only this moment left the hulks and you can't deny it the soldiers hearing this demanded if it was true and without waiting for my answer thrust me out of the place i had reached the end of the street when i recollected that i had not received the change for my shilling which i had tendered in payment of the beer i therefore went back to ask for it but the pot-boy who had served me swore that i never gave him a shilling at all and the landlord evidently believed that i was a vagabond endeavouring to swindle his servant so i was kicked out penniless it was for some time before i could muster up courage to adopt any plan for my support indeed i sat down in a retired nook and cried bitterly i even regretted having left the hulk so miserable did i feel at last hunger compelled me to act and i entered a shop to inquire if a boy was wanted the man behind the counter said he did not require the assistance of a lad but that a neighbour of his would probably hire me i went to the place pointed out to me and having explained my business was asked for testimonials of good character i candidly confessed that i had just been discharged from the euryalus but that i thought the schoolmaster on board would recommend me the man flew into a dreadful passion and rushing round from behind the counter would have kicked me out of the shop if i had not run away of my own accord i am sure that i tried twenty different shops that day in woolwich at some i explained my position at others i carefully concealed the fact of my late ignominious punishment but character 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 where was it even for a starving lad who only asked a fair trial who promised to work from sunrise to sunset and to be content with a morsel of bread to eat and a cellar to sleep in as a recompense for his toils 
even to one who offered so much and required so little in return character was necessary night came i was famishing and in despair at length a charitable baker gave me a roll and my hunger was appeased it struck me that the tradesmen at woolwich were perhaps more cautious than people elsewhere how they engaged the services of young lads in consequence of that place being a station for the convict hulks and i therefore resolved to try my luck in another quarter i set out for greenwich which i reached at midnight and slept till morning in a shed near some houses that were being built cold famished and dispirited did i awake and with a sinking heart i commenced my rounds before noon i had called at a hundred shops public-houses or taverns without success few required the service of boys and those people who did demanded references i begged a piece of bread of a baker and then set off for london so slow did i walk and so often was i compelled to rest that it was evening before i reached the blackfriars road there again did i endeavour to procure honest employment but in vain i remember that when one shopkeeper an old man listened to me with more attention than the rest i burst into tears and implored besought prayed him to receive me into his service if it was only to save me from becoming a thief i did not tell him i had already been one but he shook his head saying sorrowfully if you have already thought of turning thief your morals must be more than half corrupted he gave me a few halfpence and i went away i balanced for some minutes between the cravings of my stomach and the fatigue of my limbs that is whether i should spend those halfpence in food or on a bed i decided in favour of the food and having satisfied my hunger crept into a timber-yard on the bank of the thames and slept there till morning i awoke at sunrise and crossed blackfriars bridge my limbs shivered with ague and my clothes were damp with the dews of night i knew not what to do which way to turn hope had deserted me there was i a poor wretched houseless friendless starving being anxious to remain honest yet impelled by circumstances towards a relapse into the career of vice i prayed as i went along the streets yes i prayed to god to save me from that dreadful that last resource but no succour came all day long did i rove about night arrived again and for twenty-four hours i had eaten nothing i dragged myself back to the timber-yard but there was a great dog prowling about and i dared not enter i sought shelter elsewhere for the rain began to descend in torrents but i was wet through before i could even find the entrance of a court to screen me i never slept a wink that night i was afraid to lie down on the cold stones they were so chill morning came again and i was now so weak that i could hardly put one foot before another i was moreover starving yes starving i passed a baker's shop and saw the nice hot bread smoking in the windows and i went in to implore a stale crust but i was ordered out and then the idea struck me that in a few minutes i might obtain money to buy a good breakfast not only bread but meat and tea that was by picking a pocket the idea however assumed a horrible aspect a moment afterwards and i recoiled from it no i would sooner plunge into the river and end my woes there than steal again 
to the river's brink i hurried dragging myself slowly no more but running yes absolutely running fast to terminate my wretchedness by suicide it was near westminster bridge that i was on the point of throwing myself into the thames when my collar was suddenly grasped from behind and i was drawn back i turned and saw old death then i uttered a scream and struggled dreadfully to get away that i might still accomplish my purpose but he held me tight saying silly boy why do you fly from life since it may yet have many pleasures for you no i cried i will never become a thief again and i will never ask you to do so he replied but come with me and let us talk over your prospects prospects i repeated in a hysterical manner and then i followed him mechanically to an early breakfast-house close by he ordered a plentiful meal and i ate ravenously the food and hot coffee cheered me and i began to feel grateful to bones for having supplied the means to appease the hunger that was devouring me moreover one looks with quite a different eye upon suicide after a good meal and i could not do otherwise than regard him as the saviour of my life i was therefore already prepared to listen to him with attention and when he proposed that we should repair to bunce's where we could converse without fear of being overheard i willingly agreed to accompany him but during our walk to seven dials i constantly repeated within my own breast the most solemn vows not to yield to any threats or representations menaces or coaxings to induce me to become a thief again when we reached the house in earl street mrs bunce received me with more kindness than i had expected to meet at her hands after the trick i had played her a few days before at woolwich but she did not treat me thus without a motive for when once she and old death got me between them they endeavoured to the utmost of their power to persuade me to resume my old avocations i was faithful to my vow and assured them that they might kill me sooner than i would again do anything to risk imprisonment in that horrible newgate it was not the hulk i so much dreaded nor yet transportation because i knew nothing of it but i shrunk from the mere idea of going through the ordeal of newgate a second time old death saw that i was not to be moved at least then and he gave up the point but said he you must do something to get a living you can't starve and we won't maintain you in idleness if you like i'll take you into my service to run on errands look after people that i want to learn anything about and make yourself useful in that way and i'll give you a shilling a day i agreed for i could not starve now of course it is as plain to you as it was even then to me that old death was playing a deep game with me i was the cleverest thief that ever served him and he had received ample ample proofs that he could trust me he knew that he was safe with me i was therefore too useful a person to lose and he thought that by throwing me again amongst my old companions and keeping me on very short allowance the disagreeable impressions of jail would soon wear away and i should relapse into my old habits he was quite mistaken i don't pretend that any particular idea of virtue made a great change in me but i had been in newgate and there i had seen a man going out to be hanged and i thought that if i got into that dreadful jail a second time i should become hardened and that i also should go out some day to be hanged so i resisted all temptation and lived as well as i could on the shilling a day 
without increasing my means by theft or villainy this mode of life on my part did not suit old death a few weeks passed and when he found that i was resolved not to return to my former ways he stopped my allowance altogether i was now steeped to the very lips in wretchedness and misery but somehow or another i managed to get a crust here and there just to keep body and soul together although i oftener slept in the open air than in a bed mrs bunce showed me a little kindness now and then but quite unknown to old death and to my surprise she did not urge the necessity of my returning to the career of theft for several weeks i saw nothing of mr bones but at last he fished me out in some low place and told me i might return into his service if i liked and that he should pay me according to the use i proved myself to be to him to glean information for him run on errands dog and watch persons or even loiter about in police course to hear what cases came up before the magistrates these were my chief duties and badly enough they were paid but i was now permitted to get my breakfast and tea regularly at the bunces and that was something as for my lodging if i got together a few pence to enable me to hire a bed or a part of a bed in one of those low houses that i have already described to you i was contented for i always had this consolation that i could walk about the streets without being afraid of meeting a bow street runner jacob paused for his tale was told well my boy said tom rain you have gone through much and seen enough to form a good stock of experience i commend your resolution never to put yourself within reach of the law again for that's just my determination also you have got money in your pocket now and i will do something more for you before i leave england ah mr rainford exclaimed jacob much affected how i wish that i had met with such a friend as you earlier in life and how i wish too that i could go with you wherever you are going and be your servant your slave well well jacob we will talk of that another time said tom rest assured i will not desert you call at tullock's on monday evening and you will either see me there or find a note from me jacob was overjoyed at the species of promise thus held out to him and as it was now midnight rainford intimated his intention of taking his departure from the public-house where he had passed the evening with the poor lad when they had issued from the door the highwayman bade jacob good-night and they separated pursuing different roads in fact jacob went towards leather lane while tom rainford repaired in the direction of the lodgings which he at present occupied in gray's inn lane he having removed to that locality from his former abode in locks fields note nineteen the discipline of criminal prisons was particularly lax at the time of which jacob smith is supposed to be speaking note twenty this dreadful state of things continued in the new prison clerkenwell up to the year eighteen thirty eight note twenty one the report of the prison inspectors of the home district contains these observations upon the state of newgate the association of prisoners of all ages and every shade of guilt in one indiscriminate mass is a frightful feature in the system which prevails here the first in magnitude and the most pernicious in effect in this prison we find that the young and the old the inexperienced and the practical offender the criminal who is smitten with a conviction of his guilt and the hardened villain whom scarcely any penal discipline can subdue are congregated together 
with an utter disregard to all moral distinctions the interest of the prisoners or the welfare of the community in such a state of things can it be a matter of wonder that the effects should be such as have been described every other evil is aggravated by this and it would be worse than idle to attempt a remedy for the rest while this demoralizing intermixture of criminals of all ages and degrees of guilt is suffered to frustrate the very ends of prison discipline and to give tenfold violence to all their mischievous inclinations and passions upon which it is incessantly operating and which is the design of justice to discourage and repress apart from higher considerations sound policy demands that such a system should be instantly rectified for so long as it continues society is nursing a moral pestilence in its bosom and maintaining an institution in which are forged those weapons that are destined to be wielded with fatal dexterity against the community itself every device by which the fences of property may be overcome is here framed and divulged to ready agents every fraudulent artifice every successful trick every ingenious mode of overreaching the cautious or of plundering the unguarded is perfected here and communicated to those who had not hitherto been initiated in the mysteries of crime but the most distressing circumstance connected with this system is the cruel indifference with which it regards the condition and necessities of those on whom the extreme penalty of the law is doomed to fall prisoners actually awaiting the execution of the awful sentence of death are placed by the evil influence of companionship in the most unfavourable circumstances for self-reflection religion and humanity combine to point out the imperative necessity of providing men brought by the sentence of the law to the verge of eternity with the means of spiritual improvement and consolation but the system of prison discipline in newgate practically defeats every such merciful design no human authority has a right thus to trifle with the eternal interest of a dying criminal against this serious evil the chaplain has repeatedly and loudly protested and it is in evidence that the unhappy victims themselves have earnestly implored the officers to deliver them from a situation in which it was impossible for them to devote the few remaining hours that the law allowed them to reflection and prayer the companions in guilt of these wretched men become further hardened by the influence of this association the indulgence of thoughtless apathy unfeeling mirth or revolting ribaldry are productive of incalculable mischief to the minds of those who are subjected to their influence the prisoner who witnesses with levity or indifference the last moments of a culprit in newgate comes forth a greater villain than when he went in in him the evil principle has done its work and the very exhibition of terror which justice designed for the reclaiming of the survivors by a perversion of moral influence irremediably hardens the heart which it was intended to soften and amend if human ingenuity were tasked to devise means by which the most profligate of men might be rendered abandoned to the last degree of moral infamy nothing more effectual could be invented than the system now actually in operation within the walls of the first metropolitan prison in england note twenty two fact end of section forty one read by celine major